Blackstone Audio presents Back to Wando Paso by David Payne. Early this morning, you knocked upon my door. Early this morning, you knocked upon my door. I said, Hello, Satan. I believe it's time to go. Robert Johnson, Me and the Devil Blues. If I die, I will forgive you. If I recover, we will see. Spanish Proverb Part 1. Talking in My Sleep Chapter 1 Ransom Hill had fallen hopelessly in love with his own wife. If there was any doubt of it, there wasn't, but had there been, it ended in Myrtle Beach, as he deplaned and found her waiting with the children at the gate. Tall and thinner than he had been since high school, Ran had on his good black coat, which still stank of cigarettes, though he'd given them up in anticipation of this trip, the first of many sacrifices he was prepared to make. His slouching jeans were held up by a concho belt in which he'd lately had to punch three extra holes, and his Tony Lamas clapped along with a delaminated sole. His Stetson, though, the new $300 white one he had seen, and really felt he owed himself, was as crisp, serene, and towering as a late summer cumulus. In its shadow, under memorable blue eyes, two dark crescents stood out against his inveterate New York City pallor, smudged as though by Christmas coal, the lumps that Santa Claus reserves especially for fallen rock stars and other habitual offenders. Ran, as always, was carrying two guitars, the ones Claire called the Gibson Girls, and, again, the mistress and the wife. His road-worn but still handsome face seemed clarified by recent suffering for which he had nobody but himself, and maybe God, to blame. As he came up the ramp, a bit short-winded, with that slapping soul, he looked like someone who had served a stretch in purgatory, and now... There, in paradisial light at the end of the square tunnel, was Claire. And paradise turned out to be South Carolina. Who could have guessed? Amid the tourists headed for the links and Grand Strand beaches, the rushing bankers on their cells, his wife and children looked like a subversive little carnival unto themselves. Hope, his four-year-old, had on a pink dress-up with blue and silver sequins and boa trim. In dandelion white hair, tinged with the faintest faint blonde rinse, her plastic tiara featured sapphires one shade bluer, but only half as incandescent as her eyes. Over the summer, her legs had sectioned out like telescopes and suddenly acquired a shape like Claire's. At their distal ends, her nails were painted chipped hot pink. So, too, Rand saw, with an alarm he rapidly suppressed, were his sons. Wrapped around his mother's waist, Charlie, not quite two, had on a Cody chestnut T-shirt with a grape juice stain and a hard-shell plastic fire hat. FDNY. As he shyly grinned with two new serrated teeth, Rand saw with a pang, for the first time, who his son was going to be. 
which had carved itself from formless babyhood while Daddy was away. Toot! Fire truck, he said, and banged his plastic lid. Fire truck, dude. Putting down his cases, Rand took a knee, removed his hat, and raked his fingers through his sandy hair. With a hint of the grin that once upon a time had opened many doors, quite a few of which he would have been wiser to eschew, he held out his arms, not quite in time to catch the kids as they smashed into him like rocket-propelled grenades. Dad! Daddy! Hope squealed. Hey, sweet Pete! He keeled over, laughing on his seat. Daddy, how come you're so skinny? I'm not skinny, am I? Yes, you are. How come? Buy truck! Buy truck! Charlie said, lacking skills, but concerned to have his contribution recognized. Man, I really like that hat, said Ran. I don't suppose... He commenced a swap, but it was ill-advised. Mine, said Charlie, clamping down with two big little hands. Hope tugged his sleeve. How come? Well, Pete... He lost her on the hesitation. Look what I have on. Mm-hmm. Très chic, he said. You bought it for my birthday. Her tone flirted with severity, as though she suspected he had forgotten. I remember, Ransom said, and now he did. It fits you like a sack. In New York, cruising the garment district one day in his cab, he had seen the item on a rolling rack disappearing up a ramp and haggled out the passenger side window with a nervous Puerto Rican kid in a black do-rag. This was after the label dropped him. After his well-meaning friends rallied round and got him a stint producing a band from the U of Alabama called Broken Teeth. The next hootie, they were touted as. After five days at the magic shop in Soho, he was ready to kill them all or commit suicide, preferably both. In lieu of either, he showed up at home that night behind the wheel of a lurching, shot-shocked cab, making good a long-term threat. Five songs into an album he was hell-bent on self-producing and distributing. He bought studio time by running up huge debts on MasterCard. At one point, he had six he had to rotate every time the promo rate expired. One morning, he came back from the garage after a shift and found the closets empty. He sat for a long time at the kitchen table with Claire's bran muffin and her coffee, sweet and extra light, in a bag before he read the note. It was on her good stationery, heavy linen stock with the address blind embossed on the verso of the envelope. Even nineteen years in a rock band couldn't burn some good habits from the heart of a Charleston girl who had grown up south of Broad. They left in April and ran hit bottom, or what looked like bottom then. By that September morning in the airport, he had discovered that beneath the basement... The house we know as life has several unsuspected floors, and below those, several more. We missed you, Daddy, Hope said. I missed you, too, he would have liked to say, but Ransom, briefly, didn't trust his voice. Sitting on the floor as the traffic veered like a stream around a rock, Ransom squeezed his children hard and smelled them like a stricken animal recovering the scent of its lost cubs. And then he opened his red eyes and looked at Claire.
standing barefoot on the astroturf, in defiance, probably, of several laws. She had on a pair of faded, cut-off Oshkosh overalls he recognized far better than Hope's dress, and from much further back, the sort that date from those brief years when you're as close to physical perfection as you're ever going to get, and later put away in the unlikely hope that you'll fit into them again. They not only fit her, they were loose, and her tan was almost shocking, a fearless and unapologetic mahogany, the likes of which no one who listened to all things considered and read the New York Times had dared in recent times, as though in coming here she had thrown away whole levels of caution and regressed to a wild, natural state. After years of threats and promises, she had finally cut her hair. The long bolt of heavy chestnut silk she had both prized and half resented, tending it dutifully like an aging parent or the grave of a lover who had died young. It barely brushed her shoulders now, the ends chopped in different lengths that looked gamine and unconsidered, in some way nobody had to tell him cost a lot of dough. The gray threads he had begun to notice in New York had been replaced by red-gold highlights, and all this somehow contributed to, but did not explain, the peculiar, throbbing vividness she had, which Ransom wanted to attribute to her coming home, to starting a new job and being mistress of her own domain again. Any cause, any possibility, but one, that his absence had been good for her, had allowed certain parts of her, long eclipsed by certain parts of him, to re-emerge and shine. That's some hat, Sheriff.